Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. So we're in this series called Different, and uh, we've been looking at the New Testament uh, book of First Peter. And we've been looking at really how Peter is, is telling us as followers of Jesus that we're supposed to be different, which is why the series is named I tell you what's weird to me, what's strange to me, is that over the years, it, it, it seems like that the people that understand the most, that get it, that Christians are supposed to be different, that followers of Jesus are supposed to be different, the crowd that gets that more than anybody else are those that don't go to church. Non-Christians seem like they understand that we're supposed to be different, you know? I mean, they understand a little bit, at least enough to know that somehow Jesus is actually supposed to make the difference, a difference in the life of his kids and that we're supposed to be different. Which is, my experience has been, which is why a lot of unchurched people don't go to church. That's the reason why. And the reason why is they'll look at us and they'll say, you know what? And they've literally said this to me. I've literally had them to say this to me. They say, you know what? Why, why in the world would I want to give my life to Jesus? Because it looks like they give their life to Jesus. You know, they're having to go to church on Sunday. I mean, they're giving their money. They're doing all this stuff, and they're really, at the end of the day, they're no different than me. You know, their struggles are my struggles. They seem like they're as negative as I am. They don't have any more hope than I have. It seems like their lives are no better off than mine. So why in the world would I want to give my life to Jesus if at the end of the day... He hasn't made any difference for them. Why would he make any difference for me? And you know what? That makes sense to me. How about you? Does that make sense? I think it does. With that in mind, let's jump in and read the first few verses of 1 Peter chapter 2. So here's what Peter says. He says, so, because of everything that I've told you so far, so, get rid of some of your evil behavior. He said, get rid of all, get rid of all of your evil behavior. Done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. That seems to be pretty plain. What do you think? I mean, do we need to break that down in the Greek? I tell you what, let's, let's go to another translation. Let's look at the NIV. The NIV says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice. Now, that's a word that we use all day, every day, right? I mean, when's the last time you looked at somebody and said, get rid of all your malice? <clears throat> Parents, when was the last time you looked at your kids and said, you do that malice thing one more time? So it's not a word that we use very often, right? So it's kind of a spiritual word. We maybe look at it in Scripture. We're kind of lost as to what it means. But it looks like that evil behavior thing kind of makes sense. He says, get rid of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, which looks like a weird word to me. I'm just being honest. I look at this verse, and I see kind of where he's going. And then he says, what? Hypocrisy. Envy, slander of every kind. Does that make sense? 
Let's do one more. What do you say? Let's look at the new life version. It says it like this. <coughs> Put out of your life hate and lying. Is that, a, is that a better definition of kind of what malice might mean? Hello? Anybody? You kind of get that one? In other words, he's what he said, you should be different. So put out of your life all that, uh, all that hate, all that nastiness. Don't pretend to be somebody that you're not. Do not always want something someone else has. And look, bottom line is don't just say bad things about other people. So this is like Jesus 101. Wouldn't you agree? Hello, y'all out there? Like Jesus 101. We get this part, right? So we're supposed to be holy as God is holy. We're supposed to be separate. We're literally supposed to act different. We're supposed to be different. Not that we just dress different, that we just dress weird, that we have some kind of weird Christian haircut, that we have some kind of weird Christian shoes. I don't know what that means. That's the way I grew up thinking, though, that you had to dress a certain way. The thing of it is, is what he's saying is, we're supposed to act differently than the rest of the world. We're supposed to stand out, not fit in. What do you say? Are y'all having fun yet? Feel like you're a little tense. According to Believer's Bible Commentary, here's what they say. All of these sins are violations of the fundamental commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. So when you look at these, these sins, it's a multitude of sins, get rid of the sin that stands between you and somebody else. And here's the thing, for way too long, for way too many people, they've looked at the church and we look like a bunch of plastic people. We, we, look, we look fake. Hypocrisy, that word comes from, from a word that was used way back during the Greek times where actors would literally put on a mask. They would put on a mask and, to, and pretend to be somebody that were not. And so what happens in the world is that the church, is that the world looks at the church and they say, you know what, you people are really just fake. And why is that so bad? It's bad because what we're not able to show them is the awesomeness of the God that we serve, His mercy, His grace, His love. Peter says, you know what, we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be confident in who we are in Christ. So much so that we can be open and honest with the people that are around us. We're supposed to be different. Now how about verse 11? Drop down to verse 11. It says this, Dear friends, I urge you, I urge you as, as foreigners, I urge you as foreigners as, and as exiles to abstain from all sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So Peter, bottom line, Peter says, you know what? Sin is how people of this world live. That's normal for them. That's all they know. All they know is sin. They don't know another way of life. They, all they know is bondage. Hello? All they know is, is, is bondage. All they know is to be trapped in a life that they can't get out of. It's not a life that brings, necessarily brings joy. There is pleasure in sin, but only for a season. It's not that there's joy in the life that they're living. It's just the only life that they know. Why would we expect a non-Christian to act any different than they do? But we should be able to expect that Christians are different. He says, you're just visitors here. 
you're a foreigner living in a strange land. The reality is, this is just your home away from home. And I think that one of our struggles as followers of Jesus is to realize that this ain't it. It's a hard concept, isn't it? Because this is all we know. I think I told this in the first service, not in my notes, but, but Friday, you know, I'm thinking about the message for today. And, and Karen and I were, were off for a couple days, just, just she and I, and it was awesome. Y'all know I'm crazy about that woman. I'm crazy about her. I mean, she is awesome in every way you can imagine. And we love being together. And so we were at Dollywood. <clears throat> that's right, we are rednecks, and it was awesome. And so, you know, Karen, Karen's always going into these shops. I don't know why she goes into the shops. They're the same shops that were there last year, that were there the year before that, that were the year before that. They got the same stuff they had 15 years ago. It's the same stuff. We get to this one store, she'll always say, Honey, you know I'm going in. <laughs> and I say, I don't know why. She's never even bought anything from the store as far as I know. So anyway, I was, I was just sitting out on the bench. It was, it was a beautiful, beautiful afternoon. The sun was warm. And as I was sitting there, I have to be honest with you, as I was sitting there, I was thinking, I love my life. I, mean, I really, really love my life. It's an awesome life. I mean, I'm in a marriage. It's incredible. I'm, I'm head over heels in love with this woman. She's my best friend. We love being together. We just love being together. It doesn't matter where we are or what we're doing. We just enjoy each other's company. And then I thought about, I thought about my kids, and I, I thought about the relationship that I have with my kids, and I thought, wow, it's so amazing. And my son and, son's-in-law, and, and I love them both. Can you all imagine? <laughs> They're awesome. And I love it when we're together. And as I sit there, as I process that, I thought, wow, it's hard for me to, to comprehend. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around that this is really not my home. I love it here. But this is not my home. This is just my home away from home. Could it be that the reason that some of us are angry at God is because we're expecting earth to be heaven? And so when things don't go the way that we think that they should, when we don't get what we think we deserve, right? When life is hard, when life is hard and the way is rough and people sin against you and people betray you and people hurt you because people will, church people will. <laughs> Y'all didn't know what to do right there, did you? You didn't know to go, that's right, or, oh, it's true. The thing of it is, is that we get angry at God because we, for some reason, think that this should be heaven. And can I tell you, I've had that mentality. Can I, can I tell you that one of the things that pushed me away from church is that I looked at church and I thought, you know what? You're no, you're no different than the rest of the world, and you're mean, and you're, you're hateful, and you're ugly, and you're judgmental, and you're all of those things. Why in the world would I want to associate with people like you? And then, and then I, that was uh, while well, I was in the ministry. I'm just kidding. And then I got in the ministry, and guess what? My mentality really didn't change. And I thought, What? And I got angry at God, and I, why, why, would we, why would we be angry at God? Why would we have such expectations of other people that are just broken like us? Because we live in a broken world, right? You're broken. 
I'm broken. We're all broken. And that's what brokenness does. It violates. It hurts. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have the comfort. It's, it's supposed to bring comfort to know then when we look around and when we see all of the vileness, all of the nastiness, all of the hurt, all of the pain, when we look at the condition of our country, when we look at the condition of our church, when we look at the condition of, of, of ourselves, when we look in the mirror, that we can understand this ain't it. There's something to look forward to. This is just our home, away from home. A couple of years after I graduated college, Karen and I packed up all of our things, which took about 30 minutes. And we moved to a land far, far away. We moved all the way to North Carolina. All the way to North Carolina. I know that uh, North Carolina is not a land far, far away, but after living there for, for just a little while, what I learned was that they, they did things differently there than we do here. And I just thought that was strange. I thought, well, we're, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina, I mean, my goodness. I mean, we're not like South Carolina, California. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, we're not like, you know, states and states apart. I mean, you think that we would pretty much all from the South kind of think alike. We don't. Now, please don't misunderstand me. The people were awesome. In fact, it was, uh, if I'm honest, I would tell you that, that the time that we spent in seminary, the time that we spent in North Carolina were some of the worst, most difficult days of my life. The days when I was angry at God, days when I remember being in a cemetery and throwing rocks at tombstones and, and cussing. I know it's hard to believe that I would do such a thing, and, but I did. And, and I remember at one point, I remember thinking, God's going to strike me dead, and I'm already in the cemetery. <laughs> but we got close to these people. These, these people were incredibly sweet. They they embraced us. They put their arms around us. They loved us through some very, very difficult times. But it was just our home away from home. I'll never forget our first Easter. Man, I was so excited. I was so pumped up. This was going to be the best Easter ever. And we were going to, we were going to pack out our little church for Easter Sunday. And when I say pack out, that meant that basically, because we all know, people go to church twice a year, right? The twicers, they go Easter and, see, we know that. Like, duh. Now, I'm not telling y'all anything you didn't know. Everybody, whether you're churched or not, you know, in the South, you know, everybody goes Easter and Christmas. Obviously, these people had never heard that before. And I said, yeah. And we're going to pack the church out. It's going to be awesome. Which, which meant that, you know, in this little church, if we opened up the overflow rooms, and there was one on the right. It was a Sunday school room, and they had these big doors. And I didn't know what to do. I like barn doors. I thought, do we have cattle? I mean, what's it? So anyway, there were big, 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 huge doors that would open up in case of an overflow crowd, which they had never had. But I said, you know what? If we open up the overflow, you know, rooms, if we, and if, and if everybody's literally packed into this church, I'm pretty sure that maybe we can get 100 people here. And I was excited. Man, lives were going to be changed. People were going to be saved. It was going to be awesome. So I began to cast vision for Easter Sunday. And it was, it was then that I began to realize that we were, in fact, living in a very, very strange land. Every, everyone told me, they said, no, we don't, we don't do an 11 o'clock service on Easter Sunday. 
what? What do you, what do you, what do you mean? Every, I mean, unchurched people, you know, I mean, literally, I'm not kidding you. People that don't go to church will show up. Y'all might not, but unchurched people will show up on Easter Sunday. I'm telling you. They said, no, no, we don't, we don't do an Easter, we don't do an 11 o'clock Easter service. They said, what we do is we will start with a, a very small sunrise service. And then I learned really what they meant by small was, was the message. Brief, short, literally, I'm not kidding. They literally looked at me and said, you know, in fact, Pastor, if you could just read just a small portion of Scripture, what's the key word? We don't want the whole thing. Just give us the part where he was raised from the dead. And there was no music. No music. It was just, it was just me. It was just me. And, and, and the sunrise service was in that cemetery. It's just weird. I don't care what you say. It's just weird. And so it was going to be a very brief, very short sunrise service. And then everyone would go to the, to the basement of the church, and we would have this big breakfast. Now I was all for that. Man, it was awesome. These were some of the best cooks in the world. I'm telling you, we had, we had country ham. We had bacon. I mean, just saying bacon. Don't that make you feel better right now? Bacon. Can you smell it? I mean, we had homemade biscuits, we had pancakes, I mean, we had grits, we had, we had eggs, scrambled eggs. It was awesome. And then if everything went well, what they really meant to happen was that by, oh, I don't know, around 8 o'clock, if everything went well, if the kitchen was cleaned, we'd all go home. I said, you've got to be kidding me. Well, being the spiritual giant that I am, okay, being the hard head that I am, I said, we're going to have, we're, we're going to have an 11 o'clock Easter service. And I, I'm, I'm going to prove you people wrong, you spiritual reprobates. And when I get done, I'm telling you, you're all going to repent and say, oh, pastor, we're so sorry. You're so wise. So I cast vision. And sure enough, we had an 11 o'clock Easter service that Sunday, and counting Karen, Emily, who was just a, just a baby, and myself, there were five total in attendance. Five. We didn't need the overflow rooms. So, um, <laughs> Karen and I took up the offering, I don't know why. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why. I don't know why we bothered. Um, she sang the special, and I preached, and I don't know why. I don't know why I preached. Other, well, there was one guy that was there that I knew was unchurched. <clears throat> he was my neighbor <clears throat> who lived just up the road, and his name was Harry, and Harry was about as unchurched as anybody you've ever met in your life. He was an older gentleman, and I just loved Harry. I just loved Harry. I met Harry. Harry used to walk in front of a, the church and a little trailer that we lived uh, about every day, and and uh, he, he didn't have on a shirt, and he'd have on shorts, and Harry should have put on a shirt. I'm just, I wanted to say, Harry, look, buddy, all that jiggling. It ain't good for nobody. Can I just say, I mean, a chick magnet you're not. I mean, I don't know what the deal is. Put on a shirt, Harry. But Harry and I got to be, we got to be good buddies, as you, as you can imagine. And, and Harry showed up that week. He was there Easter Sunday because I cast vision. 
And so Harry was there. And no, Harry did not give his life to Jesus that day. And we learned that day that as much as I love these people, as much as I love doing life with these people, I learned that that was, that was not our home. That was just our home away from home. And so Peter's saying, keep your heart focused on heaven. That's hard for us. We're not, we're not residents here. This is not our home. And he said, listen, you're supposed to be different. So I, I, want you, I want you to live differently. I want you to put away all this, this evil behavior. I want you to repent of your sin. I want you to do that publicly. I want you to do that openly. I, I don't want you to be hypocrites. I want you to take off the religious mask that you've been wearing. I want you to be open and honest. I want you to be open and honest with each other. I want you to be open and honest with the world that needs to see some honesty and some integrity from followers of Jesus. And listen, I want, you, I want you to treat each other different. I want you to love each other. I want you to love each other well. And loving each other well means that you will have conflict and you'll just work through the conflict. Because this is not your home. Then, then Peter says in verse 4, it's like this culmination of all these things that he's been saying. He says, as, as you come to him, the living stone, and he's going to use some language here that will be a little weird at first when you read it. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, hmm, the living stones. What? The, the living stones are built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so here's what he's saying. We, we, are, we are the building materials. We, we are living stones. Are y'all with me? Followers of Jesus, we are, we are living stones. We are what constitutes the church. We are what makes up the church. It's, it's not a building. It's not a building. When we first started Springwell, um, when we finally made it this piece of property and, and we renovated the building next door, we didn't put a steeple on it. I, I didn't put a steeple on the, the building next door on purpose. We, we don't have a steeple on this building. And people criticized us. They said, it's not even a church. It's, how can it be a church and not have a steeple on it? They said other things about us too. That was one of the nicest things, actually, that they said. And I thought, we think it's a building. We think that you're holy on Sunday morning when you attend some kind of worship service. We have no concept. We are the church. And just so you know, the reason we don't have a steeple is because the people that we're reaching, here's what I know about the people that we're reaching. I know my people, and I know those people wouldn't be comfortable walking into a building with a steeple on it. It would remind them of, you know what, church. And then they would walk in, and what they needed to see and experience was something that was different. And the different would be that we as, 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 as children of God, the, the living stones that make up this thing called the church, would embrace them and love them and welcome them and that there would be something radical and different that would take place in this place, not because of bricks and mortar. Are y'all out there? So it's, it's, it's about doing life together. It's about doing life together. It's, it's about serving together and giving together and worshiping together and praying together and hurting together, grieving together, celebrating together. And we just do it better when we're together. 
This is just our home away from home. I came across this a few months ago as I was preparing for this message, and I did find this with another pastor, and I did my research. I think everything that I, I found was, was true. It seems that there was a, pa a paper written by a master's student. Y'all going to love this at Harvard School of Design. Now I just, some of you went, oh, wow. I didn't know we'd learn about Harvard today. It's pretty cool. His Master of Architecture thesis was basically a paper that was all about the role that architecture has played in our world ever since the fall of Adam and Eve. Ever since Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. Remember the garden? The Garden of Eden, the perfect place. And it was the perfect place, and they, they walked with God in the cool of the day, the Garden of Eden. So according to this young man's this thesis, uh, from that moment forward, he said, we've been constructing buildings. He says in the paper that uh, it was our kind of defense mechanism for losing access to the presence of God. He said that building and all buildings from that moment forward are essentially attempts to replace the sense that we lost of being at home. It's not the building that was home. <clears throat> it was the presence of God. <clears throat> and I think that, that we as churches have gone to great lengths over the years. Churches have built these incredible buildings, these monuments, right, that, that we're to, to revere and walk into with great reverence as though that represented the presence of God. And I guess for those people it did represent the presence of God. But the thing of it is, is we begin to look at the building as being more holy and we miss the presence of God. There was something about the building. There was something about stained glass and padded pews. Those are just building materials. Let me quote from this young man who's not a young man anymore. Actually, I believe he's a professor at Yale. Kyle Dugdale. Here's what he says. He said, architecture has struggled to mitigate the effects of the fall. The city is a poor substitute for the Garden of Eden. Architecture performs at best the role of a big fig leaf covering humanity's exposure. In the end, it is perhaps not so much a curse as it is an expression of humanity's sickness. So he seems to be saying that ever since the fall, we've tried to recreate Eden, all in an attempt to, to, to feel this sense of connection that we cannot experience through any other way. It, the only way that we can experience it, it's not about lights and sound. It's, it's not about a stage. Our desire every Sunday is to bring you into the presence of God. His presence is the only thing that matters. I've been saying this for years. It's all you come for, right? Typically, people that come here, I mean, you know, we don't have the steeple. You walk in, we look different, we sound different. So when people walk into this place, I've said it for years, if you show up at church on a Sunday morning, let's be honest, you're desperate. Right? I mean, when I showed up at church, I remember thinking, boy, it's my last resort. I got nowhere else to go. I don't think they have the answer either, but at least maybe. 
Our, our hope, our prayer is that when you get here, is that you will experience the presence of God. It's not the building that matters. It's His presence that matters. Buildings don't matter. Our meeting together is what matters. So Peter says that we're living stones. And you know what? One stone by itself, you know what that is? It's just a rock. But that's oftentimes how Christians end up feeling. It's how they end up leaving because of a a bad church experience because we expect church to be different, right? So for those of us that are followers of Jesus and we, we went to church and we signed up and we maybe joined a church and then we got in a church and then we realized that, that it's not heaven. We thought it was heaven and we thought we'd be treated differently because we thought that these people are supposed to be different. But we got to church and, and we found out that they're as messed up as we are and somewhere you got church hurt and you got out of church. And so you've been maybe out there for a very long time and what you've been looking for is home. connection to be with some other rocks I mean that's ultimately what we're all looking for right what we crave is to be known don't we want to be known I think that one of our greatest fears is the fear of being invisible it's funny looking back it's it's funny that in many ways for many people the pandemic really it's like an answer to prayer. That's what many people, I, I don't know about y'all, but I, I used to hear it all the time, you know. Man, this is awesome. I mean, I hate the pandemic. I hate what it's done to people and people are dying, and I hate that. But really, I've just been looking for some, for some isolation. And finally, people could work from home in their pajamas all by themselves. And they said, yay. They didn't have to get on 85 at 8 o'clock and go to work. You can't be saved at 8 o'clock on 85. I'm just telling you. People are crazy out there. And you can lose your salvation. If you lose it, you can lose it on 85 at 8 o'clock in the morning. People said, you know what, I don't have to to contend with that anymore. I got more time with my family. It was a dream come true for many people, but, but it backfired on us. People realized that they didn't want to be invisible. They wanted... No, they needed this face-to-face interaction. People realize, I I need a place to belong. I I need more people that I can be scared with, if we're gut-level honest. Even for a lot of followers of Jesus, I I need people that I can do life with. I need comfort from other people. I need need other people with me to to celebrate with me, to to mourn with me, to grieve with me. I, I need people to talk to and to do life with. That's why church is so important. That's why what we do here is so, so critically important. Because this is our home away from home. It's, heaven is ultimately our home. And this is a place where we hope that you'll be welcome. We hope that you, when you walk through the doors for a first-time visitor, that you know that we actually care that you're here, that somebody greeted you with a smile and they said, we're glad that you're here. Welcome home. We want this to be your home. We want to do life together. We don't want you to get lost in the crowd. 
our goal, our hope, our plan is for you to be cared for, but staff can't do that. We, we can't do that. It's, it's overwhelmed me over the years when somebody falls through the cracks and I think there's only so much I can do. So that's why we created growth groups. So growth groups are really just a bunch of stones getting together beside each other, near each other, close to each other, living stones that love and care deeply for each other. You're safe here. It's a safe place for you to do life. There's people that can be strong where you're weak, and there's other people that you will be strong for when, when we're weak. It, it, it's a place for all seasons. It's a place for in the wintertime of life and when grief is overwhelming and when you don't have any, any answers and when really, you know what, you don't, you don't want to go on. Heaven looks like a, a, a great place to be. It's still having someone here that you can go through that season with. When you're broken. Having other people that are broken. That have found some victory. They give you hope. This is a place where you're not going to be invisible if, if you're willing to let us into your life. If you're willing to get involved and get into groups and get on a team. At Springwell, we're so simple. We're simple because, well, we're simple people. There's only two ways you get involved at Springwell Church. There's just two ways. We don't have a hundred. We just got two. I want you on a team. I want you to volunteer. Do we need volunteers? Absolutely we do. But you know what my hope is? Is that you're serving with some other people. You'll start to build relationships with those people. You'll get to, to know people. And maybe serving on a Sunday morning will turn into a, maybe a lunch once a week or a coffee. And you'll start doing life with people. And then you'll, then you'll realize that, wait a minute, I want to go a little bit deeper. And then you'll want to be a part of a growth group, a, a part of a group that studies the Bible, a, a, a group that, that opens up and shares their hurts and their pains. And, and they, they do it together. They, they do this thing called life. And they do it together. And it's so intimate and it's so sweet that's our goal but we can't do it for you this, this is just our home away from home but it can be a pretty sweet place to be if you're willing so maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and this whole idea of belonging is actually really attractive to you. A little scary, right? Some of you walked in here this morning the very first time and you're broken and you're afraid that, oh my gosh, what if these people, what if these people knew? What if they know? What if they knew my junk? I could probably tell you that we got people that are worse than you. Probably sitting right beside you. You know, we got some convicts in here. I'm just kind of kidding <laughs> you know I probably shouldn't have said that edit that it's a place full of broken people just like you're broken but we belong to this thing called the body of Christ and the thing of it is we, we didn't do it it's not that we're worthy enough it's not that we got good enough 
See, the thing of it is, is that God said, I want this relationship with you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want it so bad that I'm willing to do whatever I have to do to make that relationship happen. So God said, I'm going to send my only son, Jesus. And Jesus is going to come into this world. He's going to go to the cross. And on the cross, he's going to shed his blood. And he's going to pay the penalty for all of your sin. All of it. Because we have the sin problem, right? We have the sin problem. And sin stands between us and God. And, and, and Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to pay the penalty for that. And so he did. And on the cross, he gave his life. He shed his blood for the remission, the forgiveness of our sin on the third day he was raised from the dead so you're looking for a place to belong man you've come to the right place this morning you can be a part of a bunch of (laughs) broken weary people that are struggling through life just like you who found the incredible love of God and are doing the best we know how to remember that this ain't our home we're just passing through here. So if you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If you're not a follower of Jesus but you'd like to be, then maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this. Maybe you just simply say, Heavenly Father, wow. I feel so all alone in this world. yet in this moment I I feel I feel you and your presence with me right now And, and it's just amazing God thank you for taking the initiative thank you for doing everything you needed to do to make it possible for me to have a relationship with you Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died, paid the penalty for my sin, and on the third day you were raised from the dead. And to the best of my ability right now, I want to fully surrender my life to you. From this day forward, I want to be different. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your amazing grace. Father, you are amazing. Thank you for the power and the beauty of your word. Thank you for this thing, Lord, that we call the church. Lord, help us to be mindful that this is not our home. This is just our home away from home. One day we'll get to spend eternity with you. It's in your sweet name that we pray.